Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two for the podcast on Wednesday, March the 30th, brought to you by epilindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network will allow you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from. For example, if you're a UK expat and you want BBC iPlayer, ITV Hub or all four, a Liberty Shield VPN will get you what you want to watch while also keeping your data safe. Most important thing, Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot. Five-star ratings across the board. Go to libertyshield.com and use the code ROUTER50 to get 50% off at checkout. That's ROUTER50 at libertyshield.com for a half-price VPN router. Can't do better than that. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company Located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks, we have a fairly brief show today because there's not a whole lot to talk about. There's just the World Cup stuff. So we'll jump through that and see where we land. Um, Last night, Peru beat Paraguay 2-0. And that meant that they finished fifth in the South African South American uh, qualifying, and they will go on to play in the intercontinental playoffs. Colombia beat Venezuela 1-0, but it meant nothing because of the Peru result. Uh, Brazil beat Bolivia 4-0. Brazil had already qualified. Uruguay beat Chile 2-0. Again, they'd already qualified. Argentina and Ecuador, both of whom had qualified, drew 1-1. There is one match remaining in the Brazilian qualifiers, that is Brazil against Argentina. The match means absolutely nothing now because both teams have already qualified. Brazil have broken the points record for the most points attained during South American qualification for a World Cup already with 45. Argentina have 39 behind them. and. You would imagine they might just play it as a game where they only call up home-based teams, so players in Brazil, players in Argentina, and maybe there's a nudge-nudge, wink-wink, and they both just settle for a draw. Um, It's probably the best result for everybody. But yeah, that's the only game left there, but everything else is decided. Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, and Ecuador automatically qualify, and Peru will go to the intercontinental playoffs to see if they can join them. 
In Asia, last night we had Iran beating Lebanon 2-0, the United Arab Emirates beating South Korea 1-0, and Syria drawing 1-1 with Iraq. What that means is that the United Arab Emirates finished first, sorry, finished third in their group behind Iran and South Korea, who have qualified, and the United Arab Emirates advanced to the next round where they will face Australia who finished third in Group B. Saudi Arabia and Japan are through. Australia faced the UAE. The winner of that game will take on Peru in the Inter-Confederation playoffs. Last night, we had Japan drawing 1-1 with Vietnam, Oman beating China 2-0, and Saudi Arabia beating Australia 1-0. So again, the Saudis and Japan through automatically Australia to face the United Arab Emirates, for the chance to play Peru for a place in the World Cup. So that's where we stand. That game is set to be played on the 7th of June, and I believe it's the 14th of June where the winner of the United Arab Emirates-Australia game will play Peru. Um, In Africa, we have all five teams decided. So Senegal beat Egypt 1-0. Uh, sorry, yeah, so that game finishes 1-1 on aggregate and it goes to penalties. Egypt missed three of their four penalties. Senegal missed their first two, but go on to win 3-1 on penalties and they advance. Lots of controversy around this one. First of all, in the run-up to the game, the Egyptian national team bus was reported to be attacked. Some of the players were reported to have been racially abused. And during the game, we saw lasers shined in the faces and in the eyes of the Egyptian players as they lined up to take their penalties. And then in the face and in the eyes of the Egyptian goalkeeper as he tried to save the penalties. It's a little bit suspect. And Egypt have complained. Egypt have made a formal complaint regarding the treatment of their players and the use of lasers, which, of course, are banned. So Egypt have lodged an official complaint against Senegal in which they claim their team was subject subjected to racism and terrorised by home fans in Dakar. Sadio Mane's winning shootout penalty sealed Senegal's World Cup place with his teammate Mo Salah among those who missed. Salah was one of several visiting players targeted by green laser pointers during the shootout. It is also claimed that the Egypt team bus was attacked, causing injuries. In a statement, the Egyptian Football Association said it had launched a formal complaint against the Senegalese counterpoint before the game, filing this with FIFA, the Confederation of African Football, the Match Observer and the security official. The Egyptian team was subjected to racism after the appearance of offensive banners in the stands aimed at their players, specifically Mohamed Salah, the statement added. Moreover, the Senegalese fans terrorized the Egyptian players by throwing bottles and stones at them during the warm-up, as well as attacking the Egyptian bus, which caused glass shattering and some injuries, which was documented with pictures and videos attached to the complaint. There is a picture here of a smashed window in a bus. 
The EFA shared images of the damage to the bus on Instagram, along with the images of the offensive banner directed at Salah. Dakar's new 50,000-seater stadium was filled to capacity as Senegal beating 1-0 to make it 1-1 and had send us to penalties. Yeah, it's, it's not great. It really is not great. The president of the Senegalese Football Federation, Agustin Sangor, who is also the vice president of the African Football uh, Federation, said he would await official reports on the incidents. From the stands, I didn't pay any attention to the projectiles thrown. About the lasers, if it happened, this is a first in Senegal. But we know that in Cairo there were a lot of these, and they are often used in specific countries. Senegal isn't used to that. This sounds like some BS to me. Um, this man sounds like he's making some bad excuses. In my opinion, he says, I didn't see during this game something that could be described as uh, considered as chauvinism because the Senegalese are known to be very welcome, welcoming. I'm sure they are. I'm sure the Senegalese people are very welcoming. But that doesn't change the fact that you attacked the bus, that there were racial banners in the stands, which were very insulting to a player like Mohamed Salah, which contrast that to how Sadio Mane was treated in Egypt last week. It's a very different situation. And the, the lasers, it, it, you can't even argue with them. Like, there's video and pictures. They're appalling. Salah's entire face was covered in lasers. And considering they were able to shine them on the players taking the penalties, and then from a different part of the stadium on the goalkeeper, it does sort of suggest that that sort of thing was planned. Now, I'm not saying that the Football Federation planned it, but certainly among the fans, this appears to have been planned. Regardless, I don't think it's going to make any difference. I doubt we'll see any punishment handed down, and Senegal will be at the World Cup. And congratulations to them. They deserve to be at the World Cup. Uh, joining them at the World Cup will be Cameroon. So Cameroon lost the first leg at home to Algeria, won the second leg 1-0, sending the game to extra time. Tuba scored on 118 minutes to put Algeria 2-1 up on aggregate. And then Toko Akambi equalized 124 minutes, basically the last kick of the ball, to send Cameroon through on away goals. Algeria are out. That is a, a big surprise and a big blow for them. They will have been very, very confident having won the first leg away. And um, unfortunately for Riyad Mahrez, he will now not get to lead his country to the World Cup. Obviously, Saeed Benrama, another well-known Premier League player in that squad. That is a big blow for Algeria. They would have been very confident after the first leg. Uh, Ghana are through, also on away goals. So, nil-nil in the first leg. Thomas Partey scored on 10 minutes. Troost Akong of Nigeria scored, or of, of Nigeria, oh, yeah, of Nigeria, but of Watford. Equalised a penalty on 22. How a centre-back is your penalty taker? I don't know. It's actually a bad centre-back. But, yeah, basically, Ghana through, Nigeria out, and there was trouble afterwards. Pitch invasion, 
and reports of one or two players uh, receiving a bit of a slap. So it is what it is. Ghana through and congrats to them. Morocco also through. They beat Congo, Democratic Republic of Congo 4-1 last night. They go through 5-2 on aggregate. And Tunisia are the fifth and final team through. They played at a 0-0 draw with Mali last night, having won the first leg 1-0. If you haven't seen the own goal from that first leg, I, I do invite you to go and witness that own goal. It is truly a special thing. But Mali are out, Tunisia through. So we get Tunisia, we get Morocco, we get Ghana, we get Cameroon, and we get Senegal all through to the World Cup. And congrats to them all. Nobody from Africa taking part in the uh, Confederation playoff malandering. Tonight, we have games in the CONCACAF, which is North and South America. Panama, Canada. Canada already threw that game. Doesn't really matter to anybody. Jamaica, Honduras, both of them already eliminated, so doesn't really matter. Mexico against El Salvador. Mexico win. They're through. That's all that matters. A win against El Salvador at home will qualify them. And then Costa Rica versus the United States. The U.S. know that a draw is enough. That will put them through. But if Costa Rica win, they will qualify and the U.S. will go into the Inter-Confederation playoff where they will face the winner of tonight's game between... Sorry, yeah, it is tonight's game. Tonight's game between the Solomon Islands and New Zealand. So that would be the final playoff. So you would, I think, give... If it's Costa Rica, I think you'd favour New Zealand. But if it's America, you'd strongly favour them against New Zealand. That's a bit of a nice... Uh, that's a, that should be a nice game. And the Peru-Australia one, obviously, is an interesting one as well. It would have been more interesting, I think, to have Australia against... Potentially Australia, it could be UAE. But to potentially have Australia against New Zealand. Nice little rivalry there, obviously. But uh, maybe they wanted to keep them apart for geographical interests. Who knows? But that's where we stand there. And then in Europe, we had our two games as well. Poland beat Sweden 2-0. Lewandowski and Zielinski. Poland are qualified for the World Cup. And Portugal beat North Macedonia 2-0. So Portugal have qualified for the World Cup. There's still one more team to come from Europe. But obviously, we don't know who that's going to be. It could be Wales. But they have to wait until June to find out because Scotland and Ukraine was postponed. That game will also take place in June with the winners travelling to Cardiff to play Wales. I think you'd have to fancy the Welsh to find their way through. I do think you'd have to fancy the Welsh to find their way through. So as things stand, there are still three open spots in the World Cup. One of them is going to be a European team. And then two more will come from the playoffs. Peru versus the Asian qualifier, UAE, Australia. New Zealand of the Solomon Islands against one of Mexico, Costa Rica, and the United States of America. 
Lots of fun. Lots of fun. Those games will take place in June. So we can park the World Cup qualifiers until June. There were obviously some international friendlies uh, last night as well. There's a couple of them that are of interest. So England beat Ivory Coast 3-0. Game was kind of a non-event. England scored early through Ollie Watkins. Then Serge Aurier was sent off in the most ridiculous fashion. And I think the referee really needs to have a word with himself here. Spoiled a friendly. Even the England players were telling them not to send him off. And he just spoils the game on 40 minutes. Um, from there, Sterling scores England second. And Tyron Mings scores England's third in stoppage time. But the game is most notable because Harry Maguire was booed by the England fans. Um, obviously, the manager and the players have rallied round Maguire and they've called out the fans. And it's a dangerous game that the fan that the players and the manager are playing, though, here, because it's taken quite a lot of work to get the fan base back on board after years of I suppose disinterest because England had just continually disappointed. England fans had become, you know, kind of kind of bored, I think, with the national team. Uh, but over the last two tournaments, obviously, they've brought the fans back and they've gotten more and more of a, a good relationship between the two, more and more of a strong support, including a traveling support whenever England go anywhere now. They are backed by thousands. But to come out and say that, you know, things like it's a mob mentality and an absolute joke, things like that, that does risk turning some of the fan base against you and causing dissension. So the player, I can understand them wanting to stand up for Maguire and I can understand them coming out and making certain statements, but I do think it would have been better if they'd made one unified statement if a couple of senior players and the manager had just called a press conference today not last night in the heat of things but this morning before they went back to their clubs and whatever call a press conference this morning and just make a joint statement with the manager speaking the captain Kane and say Jordan Henderson is a senior player sitting either side of him and they could have spoken on it together or the, you know, the manager could have just spoken by himself and just do the two there in a show of support. These essays that people put up on Twitter are for the bin, you know, stop Instagramming all your feelings, folks. Um, yeah. I, Maguire boot that there's nothing more really to say about it. Um one other friendly that was of note was the Netherlands against Germany ended 1-1. Germany had been on a, a nice run of victories, but the Netherlands finally snapped that last night in what was a, a fairly good game of football. Uh, I'm going to take a break here. When we come back, we will have some news, uh, some gossip and maybe something else. See you in a sec.
Right, welcome back. So, should have mentioned before the break, there are two other friendlies that are just worth mentioning. Uh, so, France beat South Africa 5-0. Two from Mbappe, one from Giroud, one from Ben Yedder, and one from Matteo Guendouzi. And obviously, France were expected to win this game heavily. But Olivier Giroud is now on 48 goals for France from 112 matches. The French goal-scoring record is Thierry Henry's 51 in 123 games. Giroud could well become the all-time leading scorer for France, which would be fairly remarkable considering he's not anywhere close to being one of the greatest French strikers ever. And if he can do it in a better return than Henri, that would be really, really impressive. Given his 112 matches, probably half of them were sub-appearances. So fair play to him. Fair play to him. He, he, he is a very effective forward. He's been massively disrespected for most of his career. The other thing of note, Christian Eriksen scoring for Denmark in their 3-0 victory over Serbia. So goals in back-to-back games for Eriksen. This was his first game back at the Parkin Stadium, which is the stadium where he had his uh, cardiac incident last year. So massive, massive moment for him. And it's just so good to see him back playing. It really is good to see him back playing. Great, great moment. Absolutely great moment. Uh, right. Bit of news. We'll do that first. And then I've got a little something to go through. Um, the prospect of reintroducing five substitutions is no longer a prospect. It looks like it is going to happen from next season. The Premier League will allow teams to make five substitutions. We haven't had it formally announced yet. My guess would be. It will still be that you can make five substitutions, but you can only make them in three batches, if you know what I mean. So you can do two twos and a one, a three and two ones, a four and a whatever. You can't make five separate substitutions at five separate points in the game. You'll only get three slots, but you can make five substitutions. And I think it is warranted. I think it is about time. Everywhere else, it's been allowed. League Cup, FA Cup, European competition, all across Europe, five subs is the norm now. So it's good to see the Premier League getting on board. Uh, Guillaume Balaga, self-promoting spoofer that he is, says that Barcelona have agreed deals with Andreas Christensen and Frank Kessie. Everybody is fairly much aware of all of this already. So nothing really to report there. The ECA chairman, that is the European Clubs Association, uh, their chairman is uh, Al Khalifi, who's the president of PSG. Um, he says that the Super League no longer exists, the potential no longer exists. I would bet that he's wrong. I would bet that he's wrong. But you never know. But I do think it's going to rear its head again at some point, uh, just in better fashion. I think it'll be more more well-planned the next time. Um, 
good article here on the BBC website about Sven Gorn Eriksson talking about his sort of hangover from England and penalty shootouts under his watch. So do give that one a read. Right, before we do the gossip, I wanted to take a look at the Premier League returning this weekend. We've got eight weekends left. Some teams have 11 games left. Some have 10, some have nine, some have eight. But there are eight weeks left in the Premier League season. And I want to take a look at where each team will be hoping to finish and what what player needs to step up for them to do so. So what player has maybe underperformed or performed well but needs to kick on to a new level to help them achieve their goals? So we'll just do this alphabetically. We'll start with Arsenal. Obviously, fourth place is is the aim for Arsenal this season. And the player they're going to need to step up and help facilitate that is Lacazette. So he's obviously been playing well this season. There's no question about his performance level. The issue has been with his lack of goals this season. So Lacazette has only four goals in the Premier League this season. Arsenal need him to drastically up that output over their remaining games. Because if they if he doesn't, it's hard to see them getting enough goals to get across the line. Now, Smith Rowe has scored goals this year. Saka, Martinelli, they're getting some goals from midfield and from defence. But if your number nine is not scoring, getting top four is very, very difficult. So Lacazette really needs to step up. He's shown he can do it. Now, he's never been a big-time scorer in the Premier League, career-high 14. But in his past life, when he was back at Lyon, he did score 28 and 27 in two out of three seasons. So uh, two, out of, two out of his last three seasons, I should say. So he is capable of better. He is capable of more. And I think they're going to need more from him if they're going to secure that top four finish. So for Aston Villa, it's top half. That's basically what they're looking at this season. They want a top half finish. Now, as things stand, they do sit ninth. So they're hoping to finish in ninth. They're not going to catch Wolves, who are 10 points clear. The league itself can be broken into, into, I would say, four divisions. You've got the top two. Then you've got teams three to eight. Then you've got nine to 13. And then you've got 14 and below. Villa want to finish top of that little 9 to 13 mini league. In that division, there are Aston Villa, Leicester, Southampton, Crystal Palace, and Brighton. Now, you could include Newcastle if you want. You could go to 14, and that's fine. But all of them will be hoping to finish 9th or 10th. Get a top half finish is at least respectable. All of them have played 29 games, except for Leicester, who have two games in hand. So you would say that Leicester, on the face of it, number one, the best squad, and number two, games in hand, they should finish top of that little mini group. 
But Villa, I think, will want that ninth place finish. It would represent good progress for them since last season and good progress for Gerard since taking over. The player they need to step up, in my view, is Ezri Konza. Last season, he was one of the best defenders in the league. This season, he was really good for the first couple of months, but he has been poor for the last two months, and he found himself dropped after a second red card of the season. For Villa to get ninth or tenth, they're going to need to be strong defensively. And Konza is key to that. He's by far their best defender. He has to carry Tyron Mings week after week after week. They need Konza at his best coming out of this international break for their last nine games. For Brentford, to be fair, I think Brentford will be happy just to stay up. Nothing else really matters for them. They'll be happy whether they finish 15th as they are now or 7th. They won't care. As long as they're in the division next year, it doesn't matter. The key for them to stay up is Ivan Tony continuing this recent run of form. Tony's had a good season, but he didn't score enough goals through the first, I would say, 25 games of the season. He has had a bit of a burst lately. They need him to continue to do that because defensively, they're not good enough to rely on the defense to keep them in the division. So they need to score goals to get points. They've got a difficult run in and Ivan Tony is going to be absolutely key. Brighton, again, like Villa, I think they would like to finish ninth. They're currently three points behind Villa. They've had a really poor run of late. They had a really good first half of the season, despite the fact they didn't win for three months. They didn't lose a lot of games, but they are losing games at the minute. They're losing quite a few games at the minute. I believe it's six in a row in the Premier League that they have lost. They need to turn that around. They've only scored once in their last six games. They need Neil Mope to step up and start scoring some goals. They don't have a traditional number nine or reliable number nine, so they need goals from elsewhere. I think Mope has to be that one. Moving on to Burnley. It's plain and simple. Survival. You've just got to stay in the division. Nothing else is important. They're currently 19th. They're four points off Everton. They've played the same number of games. But they still have a chance. They're one point behind Watford with two games in hand. So they could well overtake Watford. But Everton then are the team to catch. The player they need to step up is Dwight McNeil. Veghorst and Cornet will get goals if you create chances for them. The player Burnley need to create the chances is Dwight McNeil. He's had a disappointing season this year after being impressive last year. He needs to step up. Moving on to Chelsea. To be fair, third is the best they can hope for. Their aims are going to be the Cup and the Champions League. I think the player they need to step up to give them a real chance of winning the Champions League is Lukaku. But I don't mean as a starter. I said before they signed him, I think this team has to move forward with Kai Havertz as their number nine. You get pace and you get creativity either side, which is why I've recently been suggesting the Lukaku for Latoura Martinez 
straight swap deal solves problems for both clubs. But they need Lukaku to accept a role coming off the bench for the rest of this season, to take being on the bench as a slight, as disrespect of his name, as disrespect of his family, his seed breeding generation if he needs to, and motivate himself to come on the pitch every single time he's told to and just destroy a defence and just do what we know Romelu Lukaku is capable of doing. We need Lukaku to show what he's capable of or else what's the point in him being in the Premier League? So for Chelsea, they need Lukaku. He also needs to prove something here because if he does go back to Italy, he'll be going back with his tail between his legs unless he can play a big role and get some big goals to help them win a cup, potentially retain the Champions League. Lukaku is the one for Chelsea. For Crystal Palace, I think they're going to be happy regardless, staying in the division, playing decent football. I think Vieira would like that ninth or 10th place finish. I think they would like top half. I think top half would represent great progress for them, considering what they were kind of stuck in under Hodgson. The player they'll need to step up is Will Zaha. He's had a bit of a hit and miss season. We know his quality. Now, I did see a strange article yesterday which called him a one-man, a one-club man, which obviously isn't the case because Wilf played for Manchester United. Uh, Wilf also played for Cardiff on loan. Um, Wilf isn't a one-club man. He was away from, Car- from Palace for two years. But he is Palace's best ever player. This season, he does have nine goals in the league, but... He's missed a number of games and he's been a little bit hit and miss sometimes because remember, he's gone from everything goes through him to now we just need your impact more in the final third. And he's still somewhere caught between those things. But if Zaha can catch a really good reign of form here or vein of form, a vein of form between now and the end of the season, the top half is very much in play. He's only two goals off his best ever Premier League total of 11, which was last year. So it doesn't even necessarily have to be goals. It just has to be consistent chance creation. There's others around him that can get some goals. Mateta, Eduard, Eze, Elise, A will get you one a season. Gallagher will get you goals. So, yeah, Palace just need Wolf Zaha to take it up a little level. He is capable. He's shown in the past. He's capable of more. And top half is very much in play for them. Very much in play. For Everton, it's very simple. Stay in the division. If they go down, they're in major trouble. The losses they've announced are very, very troubling. You do have to question whether or not it's right that they may escape punishment for having breached the rules so badly. I think clubs like Burnley will be looking at them and saying, well, hang on a second, we've played by the rules and we're going down, but they've broken the financial rules, and yet they're staying up. How is that fair? It's not, is the answer. But for Everton, the only thing that matters to them is staying in the division, and the player they need to step up his game in order for them to stay in the division is Dominic Calvert-Lewin. They need him to stay fit, stay on the pitch, and stay scoring goals, because if he's not doing that, they're in real trouble. 
He is the player that can win them games. He can trouble any defense in the league. He's aggressive. He's great in the air. He's quick. He makes runs in behind. He's a decent finisher. He's a volume finisher as well. He takes shots when he gets the chance. He needs to step his game up. He had a good start to the season. Obviously, injuries have ruined his season. That's fine. I'm not criticizing him for that. But I need to see you out in the pitch. And if it's a, a sore toe, get someone to put some sort of protective brace on it. Get some some sort of contraption on your foot and get yourself out in the pitch, son. Uh, on to Leeds. Again, it's simple. Stay in the division. Nothing else is important for Leeds. Stay in the division. Calvin Phillips coming back is massive, but the player they need to step up is going to be Rafinha. He had a really good first half of the season. He is the only reason they're not in the bottom three because he got them a lot of points earlier in the season. Not a lot of points, but a lot of their current points tally. Rafinha was key to all of that. They need him to be key again and step up for their remaining eight games. Leicester City, as with Villa, they'll want ninth. Brendan will think ninth and maybe winning the uh, Europa Conference League rescues their season. For them to do that, they need someone to step up at the back because defensively they've been atrocious this season. Kagler Seonchu needs to go and have a long look at himself because as much as I'm willing to blame Brendan Rodgers for his decline defensively, because Rodgers is a poor defensive coach, at times at Seonchu as well, there's been a little bit of disinterest. He doesn't seem to be as affected by his own mistakes as I think he should be. He doesn't seem to be taking culpability for them. So I would like to see Kagla Seonchu be the one who steps up at the back and really starts to lead and get that team more solid at the back. You've got Fafana next to you now. James Justin is back. Luke Thomas is promising. Castanier is back. Pereira is there. Johnny Evans will be fit soon enough. There's no excuse for Leicester being this bad defensively. We need Seonchu to step up for them. Um, moving on then to Liverpool win the title. That's what the aim is, win the title. You're one point behind Manchester City. You've both got nine games left. You've got to play City at the Etihad, but still opportunity there to win that and go ahead and win the title. It sounds strange to say, but the player that needs to step up is Salah. He had an incredible run up until he went to AFCON. He hasn't been great since coming back. He scored a few goals, but he hasn't been great. He has looked really tired and it's not going to have helped that he played 210 minutes plus a penalty shootout over the last couple of days but still Liverpool need him not not even to step up beyond what he was at the start of this season or even to that level but just even back to how you were the back end of last season that will do absolutely fine Liverpool need Salah playing at close to his best to have a chance to win this title um the other one they could do with stepping up is Jordan Henderson, who has been absolutely atrocious this season. And if Liverpool want to win the title, they can't do it while carrying dead wood. So he needs to step his game up and stop making statements about how you feel you've had a good season and every season you get better, because that's simply not true. It's simply not true. And you're absolutely delusion if you delusion if you believe it to be true. You've been dreadful this season. You're poor last season. You had four good months the season before. You don't get better every year. That's absolute nonsense. Uh, moving on to Manchester City, again for them, win the title. That's all they'll care about. 
The player they need to step back up, I think, is Bernardo Silva. He was brilliant the first two and a half months of the season, but has steadily declined since then. Now, he's in the papers again talking about how, you know, he'd like to go back to Benfica and he'd like to go live in Portugal again and this and that and the other thing. And it does make you wonder if this is his last season at City. Obviously, he almost left last summer. He is a tremendous footballer. Is it a Manchester thing? You just don't want to live in Manchester? Or is it a City thing that you're not all that happy at the club? Who knows? But if he is available, there will be a list of teams queuing up to get him. He won't be cheap. Let me tell you that now. He's not going directly back to Benfica. There's not a hope that Benfica can afford to buy Bernardo Silva. Like, Bernardo Silva, if we're being honest, is a top... He's definitely a top 10 player in the Premier League. At the very worst, he's a top 10 player in the Premier League. He is 27. He turns 28 in August. So he's in his prime. He's contracted till 2025. So he's got three years left after this one. He's going to cost 65 to 70 million pounds. There's absolutely no way Benfica are getting him back. Not a chance. Not a chance. And he is the one that got away for Benfica. They sold him early to Monaco. I think Monaco paid about 12 million, which was way under what he was worth within 12 months. City got him then the following summer. Uh, which was 24 months after he joined Monaco for, I think they paid 45 million, which I think represented really good value at the time. What a player. What a player. If I could have one player from City at Liverpool, it would be him. Um, Manchester United, fourth. It, it's, it, what, else, what else can there be? They want fourth. They're four points behind Arsenal. Arsenal have the game in hand against Chelsea. United have an easier run-in, but at the same time, United have been so poor this season that it's hard to know what to expect of them. And for them, the player they're going to need to step up and carry them like he has done before is Bruno. The problem is that for Bruno to do that, he probably needs Cristiano having a seat. He probably needs Cristiano out of the team. Bruno's never as good when he plays with Cristiano. Even last night, we scores the two goals for Portugal while playing as an eight, by the way, not as a 10, and playing more like the player he was at Sporting. Um, he's still not quite at his best in that situation because Cristiano's taking away a lot of what he wants to do and a lot of where he wants to operate. Uh, so let's move on then to Newcastle. I, I think ideally, right, they're currently 14. They'd like to finish somewhere in that 11th to 13th range. They'd like to jump up into the kind of the mini division above them, or you could already put them in it if you wanted, because they've played a game less than Brentford and have a game and have a point more. So, you know, they're only two points behind Brighton. So you could put them in that group with Brighton. And I would suggest that they're not out of the mix for top half either, which if they finish top half, Eddie Howe might be manager of the year. I'm not an Eddie Howe fan. But that turnaround would be incredible. Um, 
I think they'll be happy with, with anything at this point because survival was all that matters. But they'll want to try and get as high as they can. Bruno Gomeric is the one they'll be looking for to step up off the back of the international break. Scored a great goal for Brazil while he was away. And he's going to be... He's the, he's the only player at that club right now that you'd look at and say, if Newcastle are real contenders in five years, he'll be part of it. No one else will be. No one else is at that club right now will be a real part of it. So Maximum might be a squad player. A few of us might be squad players, but he will be a starter. Bruno Gomeric will be central in the midfield to what they want to do, regardless of who the manager is, because he's so adaptable. Uh, for Norwich, I mean, staying up is what they would still hope for, but they're eight points behind Everton, and Everton of two games in hand. It's over. So I think for Norwich, the best thing to do is just try and get ready for next season. Start to figure out what you want your team to be come the opening day of next season. And the players, there's a multiple players they're looking to step up. Josh Sargent, let's see a bit more from you. Milot Rashika, let's see a bit more from you. And Solis, let's see more from you. Because if you three can really perform at a high level, maybe you three are the three behind the striker next season. Maybe you three are the ones that they rely on next season to try and get them back up into the Premier League. That's that's basically got to be the aim for them now because it, it's over in terms of staying up. For Southampton, again, I think they'll be in that mix for ninth, tenth, top half finish. Adam Armstrong has got to step up and score some goals. He's had a very disappointing season and he's got to step up and start scoring some goals. He was absolutely outstanding for Blackburn Rovers last season, scored 29 goals in 43 games. He's only got two and 25 this year for Southampton. I accept it's a big step up to the Premier League, but you're right into the back half of the season now. I want to see some adaptation from you, um, some adaptation, some adaption from you right now. I want to see some goals. So Adam Armstrong is the one Southampton need to step up. For Spurs, it's fourth. It, it's got to be fourth. They're three points behind Arsenal. Arsenal had the game in hand. Again, it's Chelsea away. It's a very difficult game that I don't expect Arsenal to get anything from. Spurs have to play Arsenal at the Tottenham Stadium, which, if they win it, will mean they go ahead of Arsenal on goal difference. He's been a lot better of late. He's had some of his best performances of the season in the last five to six weeks. But Harry Kane is still the answer here. Like, I saw a tweet from Paddy Barkley, who many years ago was one of the probably four or five top football writers in the country. And for whatever reason, he just isn't really seen in that regard anymore. Um, which, you know, I, I don't know why that is. Um is he's still a good writer, but he listed his candidates for player of the year and put Harry Kane in it. As if the first half, there's a thing that happens in English football where certain players, the media darlings, their form is just completely whitewashed. And this season's happened with Henderson and Kane, both of whom were dreadful up to Christmas. Henderson has remained largely dreadful. He's had a couple of decent games. 
Kane has been better, but he still had a couple of stinkers. But this idea that he could be in the running for player of the year, I don't care if he scores 20 goals in their last nine games. I don't care if he gets 20 goals and 10 assists in the remaining nine games. He's still not going to be in the contention for player of the year because he didn't turn up till January. Like, how could you possibly suggest that Harry Kane would warrant consideration in the player of the year conversation? And the best part was he didn't even name Salah. So the the level of bias is outstanding. And I know there'll be Spurs fans that will say, well, he's got 22 goals this season. Great. Great. That's fantastic. Let's have a look at them, shall we? In the Premier League, he had four goals by New Year's Day. He scored against Newcastle. That was his only goal in his first 14 games. Then he scored against Liverpool Palace and Southampton in a row and looked like he was getting back to something. Uh, that he didn't score against Watford. He scored against Leicester, went three without a goal. He has scored in his last... What's that? Seven games? He has scored seven goals. Two twos, three ones. He's also got three of his five assists for the season. Outside of that, he scored against Morecambe in the FA Cup. Two against Brighton, fair play. Uh, he scored against Wolves kids team in the league, in the league cup. And he scored a couple of goals in that Europe, uh, the, the conference league thing. He got four goals there. I think he scored against mighty Mura. I think they were the goals he got there. So not exactly things. Uh, yeah. He got a hat trick against Mura and he scored in the other game against them. So that's, that's his four goals there. Uh, that 12 goals is weak. Really, really weak. Uh, Harry Kane is not in the contention for player of the year and desperately needs to step himself up for the remaining nine games of Spurs season. For Watford, it's all about survival and the player they're going to need is Ishmael Assar. He was playing very, very well before he got injured back in November against Manchester United. He hasn't been quite as good since returning. He obviously missed three months but or two and a half months really. But he really needs to find form. Uh, he did score his penalty for Senegal last night, and hopefully that will boost his confidence. But they need him and Emmanuel Dennis really at their at their best. Dennis has dropped off from his early season form, but I'd like to see Ishmael Assar step up and take on the mantle of being the best player in the team. If he does, maybe they've got an outside chance because if you look at their team... They've got a really good group of attackers. Sar, Dennis, Joe Pedro, Josh King, uh, Hernandez. That's five really good attackers. They've got an okay group of midfielders. They've got decent fullbacks. The centre-backs are an absolute shambles, although Samir is better than what they had had. If Nkulu comes back, Nkulu-Samir could be a, a strong enough pairing. Uh, you wouldn't really fall in love with the goalkeepers, but Ben Foster is serviceable. Serviceable. We'd be polite. We'll call him serviceable. 
for West Ham, it's Champions League is the hope. I think they've probably missed the window, but it's still the hope for them. At the very least, they'll hope for Conference League, you know, another season of European football. They're still obviously going well in the Europa League, and they will hope to win the Europa League, and they should hope to win the Europa League, because when you get to the stage they're at now, anything is possible. Um, But Lyon will be tough, and then they could face Barcelona, which would also be tough. But uh, for West Ham, with Bowen out, you need Antonio to step up. You really need Antonio to start scoring some more goals. It's obviously not the main part of his game, but it's still got to be an important part of his game when he's the centre forward in the team. When he's lining up in the number nine position with number nine on his back, scoring more goals is vital. This season, he's got eight in the Premier League. He probably needs to get another four, five, or six between now and the end of the season. They've just, he's got to make more of the opportunities he gets. That's the one knock on him. He's a little bit rash in front of goal at times. Um, And Wolves, like with West Ham, it's top four. Like with West Ham, I think they've probably missed their window. But they're still in the mix if the others continue to flounder the way they have. Um, so for Wolves, I'd like to say Neto, but I think it'd be harsh to put that kind of pre- pressure on him between now and the end of the season. But I mean, he is the second best player at Wolves after Neves. He's missed most of the season. Him coming back should be a big bonus for them. You'd like to think he'll be the one that will step up and, and get a few goals and create some chances for them. But with Jimenez clearly not being the same player he was before injury, I think Huang is going to be key here. I think they really need Huang to find a run of goals to power them across the line and at least get European football for next season. The worst possible outcome for them, is going to be missing out on Europe altogether. Wolves deserve European football for next season. Now, it's likely there'll be an extra spot added to the uh, European group for English football because of Liverpool winning one trophy and the FA Cup likely going to one of the teams who will finish in the Champions League spot. So it may well be that the... um, Europa League spot goes to another league team and then the Conference League spot goes to the team finishing seventh rather than sixth, as it says, right, as it is right now. Right now, there's four in the Champions League, one in the Europa, one in the Conference. I think then they get one for the FA Cup. Maybe they don't get one. They do get one for the League Cup if they're not in the top European spots already or Conference League spot, maybe. I don't know. Either way, there's, there's definitely going to be seven. There'll be seven English teams in European football next year, and Wolves should hope to be one of them. That would mean West Ham or Man United likely missing out. West Ham can also find the way in if they win the Europa Conference League because they have gone to Champions League and then or Europa League and then they go to Champions League. That'd be fine. Uh, I'm finished talking now, so <laughs> I'm going to do the gossip and be done. Germany forward. Timo Werner wants to leave Chelsea and the Blues will not stand in his way as long as their price tag of 40 million euro is met. They won't get 40. They might get 30 with add-ons. I think he might end up at Borussia Dortmund. 
if Eric Ten Hag takes over at Manchester United, he is keen on signing Anthony from Ajax. Anthony one wing, <clears throat> Sancho the other. That could be fun. Don't think a winger should be one of their priorities, but could be fun. He's a long way short of being ready to be a consistent producer, though. He's not even a cons- consistent producer in the area of his Paul Pogba will need to take a significant pay cut if he wants to rejoin Juventus this summer. Um, he'll need to probably take a significant pay cut to join anybody this summer. Darwin Nunes is a target for Spurs and will be allowed to leave for 67 million euro. I think he'll be allowed to leave for less. Arsenal have made an offer for Luis Sinistera of Feyenoord. Really exciting uh, young winger. Thinking he's definitely ready for a move. Don't think he's ready for the move to Arsenal, though. Don't think he's ready for a Premier League move. I think France, Germany, maybe even Spain will be the move for him. Real Madrid have identified Jude Bellingham as a target. Must have some crack scouts there to uh, have identified the most talked about midfielder in world football. Fair play. Uh, Brentford want to extend the six-month deal with Christian Eriksen. I think he's going to be an option for a year for next year. So they'll probably just do that, kick that in, and then maybe talk about going longer than that. Brandon Williams, currently unknown at Norwich, says there will be no point in him returning to Manchester United to be a substitute. He is correct. He'll be a, a player that a lot of clubs will look at in the summer on a, on a loan. If he's available for sale, someone will get a bargain. He is a quality player, can play both sides really well. And a club like Crystal Palace, who's desperately in need of a right back, could do a lot worse than looking at Brandon Williams, who can also be cover at left back. Barcelona have not yet made an offer for uh, Rafinha, but personal terms have been discussed. The Brazilian winger only has a clause in his contract to determine his price if his club are relegated. Now, that is from the spoofer with the catchphrase, who was the one who told us all that there was two buyout clauses because he was making it up as he goes along, which is what he generally does. And if you haven't read the tweet... Uh, do go and read the uh, the Twitter thread I mentioned yesterday. It is it is magnificent. It is the greatest thing currently taking place on Twitter. Nothing else is on this level. Nothing else comes close to this level of exposure of a guy who everybody really just needs to be aware of what's for what Fabrizio Romano is like stop calling him a journalist stop paying him as a journalist he is basically a glorified news aggregator who tries to sell his view on sorry he tries to sell other people's news as his own uh, at not escapism is the fellow who's put the thread together go and check it out Chelsea will join the race to sign Paolo Dybala. No, they won't. Gareth Bale could sign a short-term deal after, with a new club after leaving Real Madrid and retire immediately after the World Cup. Nah, I don't think so. Uh, he'll probably just sit at home for a few months. Barcelona hope to make the signing of Adama Traore permanent uh, after his loan. It, it looks like Traore for um, Trinkio straight up could be the swap. If that happens, Wolves have won that deal. I'm sorry. 
Wolves are getting the better player and he's younger as well. Atletico Madrid could extend Ant- Antoine Griezmann's loan stay from Barcelona, but are not prepared to let Chef Felix move to Spanish Giants. Don't worry, they can't afford him anyway. Liverpool and Chelsea are interested in PSG's 17-year-old French playmaker Ishmael Garby. Uh, he is apparently very, very talented. Yet another player not getting chances to progress at PSG and looking for an early egg. This happens time and time again at that academy. Uh, Liverpool and Real Madrid are currently considering a move for Vitinha. I doubt it. I bet his agent just wants a new contract for him because he's finally having a good season. Fiorentina are keen on Diogo Delo. Every so often we hear a club is interested in him. And my assumption is always his agent spreading this because he either wants him out of the club or he wants a new contract. Arsenal are ready to leave, sorry, ready to let Lucas Torreira leave on loan. No, leave permanently, sorry, leave permanently in the summer. He's currently on loan at Fiorentina. Um, everybody knows that, that's not news. Brighton are the latest English club to show interest in 16-year-old Scottish striker Rory Wilson, who has scored 40 goals for Rangers youth side this season. He's been linked to everybody in the Premier League, so it does seem like he'll be making a move south quite soon. The Seagulls have also made a £250,000 offer for Kilmarnock, 16-year-old Scotland under-17 defender, Charlie MacArthur, who is also interesting. Wolves and West Ham, and he was linked to somebody else as well. Who was he linked to? Was it Middlesbrough? I saw him linked to a championship club recently. Barcelona have opened talks with Ousmane Dembele over a new contract. The French forward has been linked to a free transfer this summer to PSG or Chelsea when his current deal expires. You'll remember back in January, Barca announced that they were cutting off all negotiations and the player could leave then and there. And he has gone on an absolute rampage ever since. He has been absolutely incredible ever since. So Barca now by cap in hand. He's going to want big money. He's probably going to take them to the cleaners. But that is it. That is me for today, folks. Thank you, as always. I will see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.